All right, we're in the middle of a, well, not even, a third way through a 21-day fast, and so I know some of you would have fasted, have been fasting, some of you are still going to fast, so I just want to continue in a series on fasting, and if you were not here last week, it would help for the context if you wouldn't listen to it, but it's interesting that Jesus said, when you fast, he said, when you pray, but then the scripture says, if you sin. It's just a thought. If we sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ. But it says when you pray and when you fast. And uh, there should be a, a handout. I think you were either given one at the door last week with that under the seats. And in there is just some helpful practical things that talk about fasting. And one of them is how long to fast. And I was going to read it to you. I won't for the sake of time, but I encourage you to read it. I've had a lot of people come to me that have never fasted before. Um, it's not something that's as frequent or as prevalent in the West, or a lot of people fast, but they don't really know why, you know, and so we want to have some spiritual understanding. We really, really do. And one of the practical helps is how long should I fast? And it's Derek Prince. And you know, if you're an intense type of person, you know, it's almost like who can fast the best. But it's not, it's not like that. But there are things that begin to shift and change in longer fasts. It's not because you're a better faster. It's really got nothing to do with that. It's, I will explain some of that today. But it's got to do with what begins to take place and what begins to change. There's a documentary. I'm not a medical person at all, so what I'm about to say to you does not, is not practicing medicine without a license, I don't know, okay? Disclaimer, I'm not a doctor. But there are things that change in water fasts that medicine cannot explain. God knew this many, many years ago. You know, they, I, there's a documentary, it used to be on Amazon, and interestingly now it's taken off, and it's called The Science of Fasting. I think it's on YouTube, maybe. It's about, I think it's 56 minutes, I think, somewhere around there. It's something that they did in the old Soviet Union. It's something really from the 1920s and 30s and up, and then it, it is even up to modern day. The change in depression, anxiety, schizophrenia, all forms of mental illness, all forms of physical illness, cancer cells, the outer wall of the cancer cell after five days of a fast almost goes away. They are things that we cannot understand. Uh, yet they have some understanding. They looked, obviously, medically, and they started, started opening fasting clinics all over, all over the place. And now they are available, but they are very expensive. But God knew this way back here. And so even a three-day water fast, you know, I'm not saying you have to do a strict water fast. There are different types of fasts. But when the Bible says the word fast is basically just drink water unless it's either specified, like with Esther 4.16, there was no food, no water, no liquid, nothing in the mouth, which personally I've never done. I've known only two, Cynthia's actually one of them who've done it for two or three days. It's a phenomenal thing. I would, I would suggest if you want to do that, get medical advice or speak to someone who's done it. Just be wise. I really encourage you to be wise. But the power of water fasting, they've actually proved that after 12 days, not that many of you will do this, 12 days of water, the brain starts to detox. And some of the furrows in the brain, some of the things in the brain that are actually passed down 
genetically, you know, patterns of thinking, thoughts, lies, the Bible would say, actually start to physically change. So that's why it says we afflict the soul. Bible knew that. Something changes, even personality shifts after long fast. They are, uh, fasting, there's a lot of things I could say in the physical because I've done a lot of study with it. It's a phenomenal, phenomenal, powerful tool. But what happens in the spirit is far more powerful. I held up this key last week. Fasting, you know, for years I sat in the front row watching my dad make a mess with papers. And I thought, why doesn't he get organized? And then, I understand now. I understand. <laughs> I understand. Um, I held up this key last week and I said, fasting is like this key. It's, it's not a regular key. It's not a key on your keychain, the mine over there. It's not something you use every day. But it opens things that nothing else can open. It's actually a gift from the Lord. Much like repentance. Many of the things that we think are pointing out faults or not, or not helpful to us or not good for us are actually gifts. You know? That's why the Bible says we've been, every, we've been given everything we need for life and godliness. And there are times that until we turn that key, nothing will shift. Nothing will shift. So I, I really want to encourage you if you want to fast, if you've never fasted before, please start slow. Go read that. Start with one meal, whatever it may be. And the Bible says in Isaiah 58, which we won't have time for this week, we'll likely get into it next week, which is the classic, in a sense, scripture on fasting, one of the major ones. But he says, is this the day that I've chosen? And then he says, in the day of your fast, you seek your own pleasure. And, he, you know, they were fasting, in a sense, incorrectly, and they were using the fast to enrich themselves to do all these things. So... I, I haven't done it yet. There's a period of the fast. I've been fasting, but there's a period of the fast that I will also choose to go off all sorts of distractions. I'm not a big social media guy, but I will go, you know, I will not open it at all. And no, anything to do with screens, voices, distractions, TV, anything, gone. You know, because there's so much grabbing for your attention. So much, so, 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 so much, you know, and so I will eventually at some point put that away for a week or whatever it may be, depending on the length of the fast, and you'll be amazed how much time you have. It's amazing when you, you know, you just, you don't even realize it. Anyway, so what have we been looking at? The outline was what is fasting? How do we approach fasting? And why they fasted in the Bible? We ended there last week. I'm going to have to continue on that point, but Today I would also like to hopefully cover why is fasting so powerful and from what position do we fast and what I actually mean there is what does it mean to fast in a sense in the New Testament versus the Old because there are some differences. And then but by prayer and fasting, that wasn't last week, God just spoke to me about, about it this week, we'll probably do that next week and then Isaiah 58. So what is fasting? Just briefly for those who weren't here last week, fasting is to abstain from food for spiritual purposes. There are different types of fasts which you can listen to last week. But mostly, most fasts in the Bible were, when it uses the word fast, it was water and it was mostly a day. You know, not everyone does a big 40-day fast. Thank goodness. How do I approach fasting? With faith and with a plan. And why they fasted in the Bible? Now, we touched on this last week. 
to humble ourselves. If you were a Jew, a Hebrew, an Israelite, back in those days, you would understand, you would have certain understandings, and you'll see the scriptures will come up behind you in Leviticus 16 and uh, Leviticus 23, I think it is, and also in Acts 27, you'll see it, that when the Bible says, when on the day of atonement, they would have to afflict their soul, that phrase, afflict the soul, is a reference to fasting. The phrase in the Old Testament, predominantly, to humble yourself, if you were Hebrew, you would understand its reference to fasting. So scriptures like, if my people who are called by my name would, humble themselves and pray. Very interesting. Now under the old covenant, they understood that. David says, I humbled myself with fasting. Another time they say, I chastened my soul with fasting. So fasting, it doesn't even, it's, it's not about the intensity. It's a physical act that God gives us to humble ourselves. It's actually a gift. It's very hard to humble yourself if you're trying to humble yourself because by definition, you're looking at yourself. <laughs> you know? Someone said that great statement, humility is not to think less of yourself because God thinks you're, God doesn't make junk. Hello? Doesn't make junk. It's not to think less of yourself, it's just to think of yourself less. And you know, humility or to humble yourself, to have a physical act is a great gift from the Lord. And it'll be used interchangeably in the Old Testament with the word fast, with the, word, with the phrase afflict the soul, with the phrase to humble yourself, and also the phrase to mourn. That didn't always mean a fast, but most of the time, it, mourning was done with a fast. Jesus used, used those two interchangeably. He said, why don't you fast? And he says, why should they mourn if he used them interchangeably? So, why else? To return, to our, to return in our hearts to the Lord? And the Lord said, rend your heart, not your garments. And he says, return to me with your heart in Joel 2 and rend your heart. Because what had happened, it had become all about the physical thing and they had forgotten the purpose of it. Which, you know, as we all do that. Yeah, it's not just, is it just me? Just one other person? It's you and me, Tommy. Jesus loves us, but. So, uh, also for others, a true fast, Isaiah 58, is a fast for others. And then in times of mourning, those first four I call the essence of fasting. And then last week, I left off here and I want to pick up here. For wisdom, for revelation, and for understanding. Why did they fast in the Bible? For wisdom, for revelation, and understanding. In Daniel chapter 10, there's this amazing scripture. I'm going to quickly try to find it. Um, and I don't think it'll come up behind you. I apologize. I don't think I put it in the note. But fasting seems to make the voice of the Lord crisp and clear in very, all the different ways that God speaks. Your conscience becomes clear. It's like it becomes loud again. The Bible says in the New Testament that our consciences can be seared as with a hot iron. They become burnt and shut off, just living in the world. But your conscience becomes loud. All of a sudden, you may start to dream very differently. All of a sudden, all the manner of ways that God speaks, the revelation from the word of God, everything becomes crisp when you fast, even though you're tired. <laughs> and in the book of Daniel, he set his, his heart to fast and he says, the message was Daniel 10, I'm just picking it up in the middle, please forgive me. Um, in Daniel 10 verse three, he says the message uh, was long, the point of time was long and he understood the message, he had understanding of the vision. So then it goes back to how he did that. In those weeks, I, Daniel, was mourning 
There's the phrase mourning. It's actually, he was talking about fasting. I was mourning three full, three full weeks. I ate no pleasant food. No meat or wine came in my mouth. It actually says the word there is desirable. I ate nothing desirable. I put aside what is desirable. Then he has this dramatic encounter. And we know the story. This angel breaks through after 21 days of warfare because he was dealing with a principal demonic spirit, the prince of Persia. And there's a fight in the heavens and this angel breaks through and delivers, in a sense, the answer, the breakthrough that Daniel's looking for. And you know, it's interesting because it says, I actually, let me read it to you. Sorry, I'm just thirsty. When you're fasting, you get very, very thirsty. It is true. He says here, then he has this dramatic encounter and the angel says this to him, O Daniel, man greatly beloved, understand the words that I speak to you and stand upright, because he was face down. For I have now been sent to you. Then he said, do not fear, Daniel, from the first day you have set your heart to understand, to humble yourself, that's the fast, before your God, your words were heard and I have come because of your words. There's a lot about fasting in those little texts that I encourage you to go read at home. Go read Daniel 10. Because it's interesting that he says, I ate nothing desirable. And then it says, O man, Daniel, O man, greatly desired. It's the same word in the Greek. I mean in the Hebrew. The same word is used. So Daniel puts aside something desirable and he becomes desirable to heaven. Now some people struggle with that. That sounds like works. No. There's a big difference between the love and the favor of God. God's love for you is perfect, is constant, is full, is all powerful. It never changes. It'll, it takes some people years to wrap their head around the fact that God will never love you less, but he will also never love you more. Regardless of what you do, his love is his love. The Bible actually says in John 17, he loves you to the same degree that he loves Jesus Christ. It says that in the Bible. That won't change, but favor is different. Bible says you can grow in favor. It says of Samuel, he grew in favor. Favor with God, favor with man. David, Daniel said, I will put aside what is desirable and I will become desirable for heaven's breakthrough. Is the power in fasting, power in fasting. Then he says, um, from the first day, you have set your heart to understand. That's making God's voice crisp. And then he says, your words were heard. I have come. Why? Did he say, I've come because you fasted? He says, I've come because of your words. It wasn't the fact that he chose to be hungry. Please, un please hear me. John Piper says that fasting is the intensifier of prayer because fasting is linked to prayer. And so what had happened, he said, I've come because of your words, not because you're hungry. I became because of your words, the prayer that poured out from you when you were humbling yourself. It's interesting, isn't it? The Bible's amazing. It leaves nothing. It's so much in there if we would just go to it. So, let me ask you a question. Do you need clarity in your life? Do you need revelation? Are you looking, you need increase of discernment for a season that you're walking into? Turn the key. 
it works. Turn the key and begin to fast. Why else did they fast in the Bible? For warfare, as we even saw in Daniel. But also what I mean is for God's intervention in times of crisis or in calamity. In 2 Chronicles 20, again, I'm sorry, it's not up there before you, just because it would take screens, you know, six or seven screens just to put it all down. In 2 Chronicles 20, verse 1 to 13, you see this army come against King Jehoshaphat. It's an army that he cannot defeat. It's an innumerable company of people, un- impossible in the natural for him to defeat. And he doesn't know what to do. And so he says this, and Jehoshaphat feared, because he was told this army's coming, and set himself to seek the Lord, and he proclaimed a fast all throughout Judah. So Judah gathered together to ask, help from the Lord and to seek the Lord. So when you face impossible situations, when you face something that you know, uh, who who knows what it's like to feel overwhelmed? Every one of you should raise your hand unless you're like three, okay? Well, you may not get a toy. So, but that feeling of overwhelmed, I cannot, is too much, right? Turn the key. Turn the key. And it's interesting, the response. He has this terrible thing. And he says, oh, what do we do? We proclaim a fast and they gathered together. You know, when we come together to pray when we're fasting, there's something powerful about it that is different than when you're interceding and praying on your own. And I could, we could speak for hours about that, but there just is. You know that this happened in this nation in the past? They'll throw it up behind me. Samuel Adams, governor of Massachusetts, 19, uh, 1795, February 28th, declared a fast for the whole state. John Adams, 1798. James Madison, 1815. Abraham Lincoln, three different years, proclaimed a national day of fasting and prayer. Why? If my people who are called by my name. You know, it's the people of God in a worldly city. That is the example of what Esther is trying to show us. Esther 4.16, living in Babylon in a sense. Not it wasn't, but you know, the, the world. She wasn't in Babylon, but in the world. Living in Egypt, living in Babylon. She said, go speak to all the Jews. It literally says that, Esther 4.16. Go speak to all of God's people. And together we will save the nation. It's not us. But she proclaimed three days, no food, no water. So (laughs) for God's intervention, even nationally. You know, this next one, I don't know if I'm going to be able to say without. uh, Nehemiah 1.4, you see the heart for God's people. (laughs) Nehemiah. He's wondering, what's the state of the church? That's in the modern, the way we would say it. What's the state of the church? What's the state of God's people, really? And so people come from where they are, because you know the temple had been rebuilt, but the city and the walls and everything was destroyed still. And he says, 
one of my brethren came with men from Judah and I asked them concerning, so he's waiting for these people to come give a report on God's people. How are God's people? And he says, I asked them concerning the Jews who had escaped, who had survived the captivity concerning Jerusalem and concerning Jerusalem, a heart for God's people, a heart for God's kingdom. And they said to me, the survivors who are left are in captivity. He says, they're in great reproach. And he says, the walls are broken down and the gates are burnt with fire. You know, it's just how I've been feeling for the last year or so. A heart for God's people. You know, and the access points, the gates, the access points to God, people can't even see it anymore. They don't know, how do I get to God anymore? It's like they've been charred and burnt with fire. Even though they're in the church, even though they go to church every week, even all the various things. And it's a heart for God's people. So what did he do? He says, he, he literally, it's like he collapsed in a sense and he, procla- and he fasted and he prayed. And from that came strategy and courage. Why else did they pray? For direction and strategy. I said this last week, I'm gonna have to move on, but I actually, I don't think I did. In Ezra 8, I'll read it to you briefly. He says, There I proclaimed a fast at the river of Ahava that we may humble ourselves before our God to seek from him the right way for us and for our little ones and for our possessions. And you know what happened there? I find it very funny. He he was gonna take God's people. This is before Nehemiah's name. He was gonna take God's people and take them back, build the temple and do all these things, wonderful things. And he, so he goes to the king of that, he goes to that king and he says, our God is great. Our God is awesome. He will protect those who love him. He will take care. He will, you know, it's in the moment under the anointing kind of thing. And then he gets to the river with all of God's people and he looks at the little kids. Oh, there's little ones here. And we have all our gold and silver and possessions and stuff and, all this precious stuff they're taking for the temple. And they get there and it's like, you know, hmm, I don't feel like I felt when I said it to the king. You know, who's ever experienced that? I have. I've stood on stages or with people and said, this is what the Lord says. And it's like, whoa, and you know it's true. You know it's the Lord and then you go home. And you're like, ooh, what did I say? You know, I don't struggle with that as much anymore, but for many years, sometimes, but for many years, it was constant. Oh my goodness, what, you know. But you know, it was the Lord, in the, but then that, the sense of it leaves and you're like, oh boy. You know, and it says he was embarrassed or he was ashamed then to go to the king after he had proclaimed this thing and said, you know, yeah, our God is great, but please give us soldiers. Because he just said, our God will protect us. So he gets to the river of a harbor, which means subsist. It means, in a sense, the strength of your own strength. And he says, well, we're not gonna do that. So he said, so there's little children here. And he's thinking, what did I do? What did I, why did I say that? So he says, okay, we must fast. And they all arrived safely. Yeah? For direction, for strategy. Are you lacking purpose? 
I believe, and I, I say this, some people can hear this legalistically, I, I trust you don't. If you incorporate into your lifestyle, what I call a lifestyle of fasting, one day a week, you know, you can start like John Wesley, I read it last week, you start at sundown one day and you go to 3 p.m. the next day or whatever, or one meal, one day a week or something like that. If there's a lifestyle of fasting, it doesn't have to be intense. I believe with all my heart, it will help people navigate through difficult seasons, navigate through troubled waters, through storms, without hitting rocks, without running aground, without shipwreck. It helps you navigate through things that we don't even, we stop seeing all the things. It's like we just are able to navigate when we need to be a skilled navigator through life. Employ a lifestyle of fasting one day a week or whatever it is for you, you'll find the navigation changes, the ability changes, the season will start to shift and change. Direction, can I say even decisions for your family, investments, business decisions. It's all through here. You've got big business decisions, fast, fast one day, one day. Fast and ask the Lord. You'll be amazed. Also for appointing, why else? To appoint leadership. There are some decisions I simply will not make without fasting. And this is one of them. In, you see it in the New Testament. In Acts, they set in apostles. The prophets and teachers at Antioch identified Paul and Barnabas and actually laid hands and set them into the apostolic office. But it says they did it with fasting and prayer. In Acts 14, it says they did with elders. They had traveled, planted all these churches. They went back and appointed elders in every church with prayer and with fasting to appoint people and set them into office. So why is fasting so powerful? Have you ever wondered that? I have. Maybe it's just me. Who else wonders these things? Who else? Okay. Thank you, Jesus. It's good to know I'm not crazy. Why is fasting shown to wield the power that it wields in Scripture? It brought supernatural comfort. Daniel fasted to gain understanding. It rescued a nation under Israel. It divine, I mean under Esther. It divinely protected Esther. It opened a way for Nehemiah. It changed the battle under Jehoshaphat. Why? Well, it's very, what I'm about to tell you, you know. But it's like one of these things that we know, but when we hear it, we're like, that's good. Yeah, I need it yet. We know it, but we need to hear it. It's the appetites, the affections, and the mindsets. Now, there should be a sentence that comes up behind me. Fasting intentionally impacts the areas of our lives that are pursued and used by the unseen realm as a means of influence over us. I'll read that again. Something actually I heard while I was praying in my heart. Fasting intentionally impacts the areas of our lives that are pursued and used by the unseen realm as a means of influence over our lives. And I'm talking about the negative unseen realm. I used to say fasting is when we take out the 50 caliber, we become intentional because the 22 and the nine will just ain't cutting it. So we gotta reach in and get a bigger weapon. You know, and it's an intentionality. It's still fascinating to me that Jesus fasted. The one without sin still fasted. 
Paul, who went to heaven, could utter things. He, there was, he was told things he couldn't utter, and it says he was in fastings often. But Philippians 3 is going to be a verse that I think should come up behind me. Philippians 3 says this. The context is one of Paul saying, everything, I gave up everything for Christ. My status, my gain, my pharisaical you know, status. My, my, I was a Hebrew of Hebrews, the tribe of Benjamin, and all of that stuff, my, everything. I counted, the word is dung, actually. I counted excrement, I counted dung, I counted rubbish for the sake of knowing Jesus Christ. And then he says, and I press on, you've heard me say this many times, it's actually one of my actual favorite scriptures. I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. So there's a that for your life. And then he says this, it's a funny scripture. He says, therefore, let us, verse Philippians 3.15, as many as are mature have this mind. After saying all of that, he says, we think like this. And he says, and if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal even this to you. It's like, if you don't agree with me, you will one day. I love that he says that. And then in verse 17, he says this, brethren, join in following my example and note those who so walk as you have, for, uh, you have us for a pattern. Amazing thing to be able to say that. For many walk of whom I have told you often and now tell you even weeping, so he was weeping while he was writing this, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ. Whose, this sounds very harsh, I'm gonna explain. Whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, whose glory is in their shame, and who set their mind on earthly things. For our citizenship is in heaven from which we also eagerly await our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ. So he lists these things, whose God is their belly, whose glory is their shame, and who set their mind on earthly things. There's a famous verse, 1 John 2, 16, unfortunately been used to beat many people down. Nevertheless, it's very true. 1 John 2, 16, as you read it, you'll be like, oh yeah, I know that verse. It says, for all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life is not of the Father, but of the world. The list that Paul gives here is a very similar thing. He's actually saying something very similar. Lust, this is my own definition, is what? It's a natural desire corrupted or polluted and then strengthened by the unseen realm. You know, and that's why people get weird. Because they say, you shouldn't be attracted to that person. That's, you know, evil, lust. No, actually, God made it like that. Sex is good. Attraction is healthy. People, young people, should I marry this person? Do you love them? No. Probably not. You know, they get so spiritual. They are, yeah. Leadership. Bible says it's a noble thing to desire the task of an elder. The enemy will take that desire that God's put there, corrupt it, pervert it, and empower it, and now you want power instead of leadership to serve. Money, useful. God is very good with money. There's a financial system. Corrupt, twist, change the desire. So back to why is fasting so powerful? It says, whose God is their belly, whose glory is in their shame, whose God is their belly is the lust of the flesh. 
that is not just your physical appetite, it's all the appetites of life. That word belly can also be explained womb, what your life births forth. It's the appetites of life. And there are many, and many of them are God-given, many of them are natural, but the enemy will come and corrupt it, twist it, strengthen it demonically. Whose glory is in their shame. I remember that being a young man. I did this. Well, I did worse things. Who's ever heard conversations like that? They, they, they're reveling, they're glorying in their shame, in what should make them ashamed. That's the pride of life. Who set their mind on earthly things. That's the lust of the eyes. It's what I see I want. It's, it's status and position. So, why does it say God is their belly? It's saying the same thing. It's saying there are the appetites of life that are good and normal and from God and natural, but the enemy will come and twist them. Why? He will twist it and corrupt it. And what happens? It will want to gain rulership over you. Now you are serving the appetites. They are no longer serving you. Because you, Kimai, sorry, I see Kimai. Kimai, Nate, it's a handsome man. Dave, we are, they are spirit beings with a soul housed in a body. Yeah? Yeah. You're all eternal beings. All of you. So what happens is we have natural desires. They're good, they're healthy. But the enemy will twist them, corrupt them, and then empower them. And then we are ruled instead of the spirit ruling over that. Yeah, the flesh. Dwayne once did this. He said, if this is like your spirit, your soul wants to do this because your soul is your mind, your emotions, and your will. Your soul wants to cover up your spirit because the spirit of God lives in you. I heard an example like this once and I used to give it for many years. I can't remember the last time I'd done it. If I had a box, say a cube here that was, I don't know, 10 feet squared, big cube, and it had a fire inside right in the middle, but it was made of solid lead. You know, and there's a little fire. Let's just, it can burn without oxygen. It's my picture. So, <clears throat> and you can put your hand on it. You know, how long will it take you to feel that fire? Very long time because of the lead. Take that exact same size fire and you put it in the same size box, but it's a paper box. It's instant. That's your soul and the experience of people around you to the fire of God that is within you. So, because the Bible says we have the same spirit. He doesn't have a different spirit than I do. I don't have a different spirit than Bill Johnson does. Same spirit. So, the enemy will try to cause these appetites to rule over you and he will try to move you what I call from faith to materialism. People don't, it's difficult for some people to understand faith. It's not just this inability to believe for healing or for, there is that. But faith is a conviction. I live by decisions, basic life. I live by conviction of things I do not see, things that are in the unseen realm. I have spiritual understanding. I have conviction. There's evidence in my heart, although I can't explain it sometimes. And I make decisions that doesn't make sense to other people because I know what's in the unseen realm. 
and I know how it works and I understand. And even when it doesn't work in a sense, I don't get mad because my, my, I love the Lord and I trust him. And that's a lifestyle of faith. And the enemy will want to move you from that to materialism. Materialism is not the love of things. It's a greater trust in the natural realm. It's a, I rely upon what I see more than what I don't see. That is the essence of materialism. It's what I rely upon. It's what I lean on. It's what I look to when I'm in trouble. It's, so why is fasting so powerful? It directly impacts. It directly impacts our appetites, affections, and mindsets while simultaneously feeding our spirit while building stature in the spirit. It's like <clears throat> if there were two cars racing. You know, it's a close race to the finish line. And it's like, oh, it's like you know, uh, versus a car getting forcibly turned around and going in the other direction. Even if you stand still. Sometimes it feels like that when you're fasting. You feel like you're standing still. Sometimes the breakthrough comes after. Don't worry about how you feel. But the car, the flesh and all of that is going, the gap is widening. It's not like a race. You are simultaneously impacting those areas, sending them away while feeding your spirit versus a close race. Fasting is enormously powerful. It changes our mindset. It sets your mind on heavenly things, like Paul said, have their mindset. It, it reminds your appetites. You're not in charge. He's in charge. It reminds them. That book that Derek Prince wrote on fasting, I love it. There was a doctor friend of his who's had a revelation, some of what I'm speaking about on fasting. So he decided to fast and he walked past his favorite bakery one day and he was not happy. And when he got home, he said to his stomach, stomach, today you were not kind to me. I'm gonna fast again tomorrow. <laughs> I love it. Who's in charge? Fasting helps restore our affections. Rend your heart, not your garments. Restores affections. Paul said, 2 Corinthians 6, you are restricted because of your affections. And I'll end with this point. Why else? That's the answer in a sense. Fasting impacts those areas. Why else is fasting so powerful? Because of something called physical obedience, even though we don't always understand. Name in the Syrian. In the old, go dip yourself in the river seven times. No, why? I don't, just do it. Okay. Unhappy, bad attitude, did it, got healed. Walk around Jericho seven times. Don't understand, do it. Okay. Moses, Aaron, and Ur. Moses is sitting up there. They're fighting the Amalekites. Lift your arms, and then they'll start winning. Literally, think about that, friends. They're winning, fighting, they're winning. Moses' arms get tired, they start losing. Something in the natural, so they put a rock under him, sit him down, and Aaron and Ur hold his hands. Elijah goes to a widow and she says, I have pretty much one meal left with the amount of flour and oil. He says, give it to me, make it for me, and then feed yourself. I don't understand why, you know why? She did it, physical obedience. The oil and water never ran out. Oil and flour, I'm sorry, never ran out. There's a major lesson from that we should honestly impact every area of our life. 
And you've heard me say it before. I used to say it years ago. Physical obedience brings spiritual release. But let me say very carefully, not just physical acts. Some people do get weird. It's like everything becomes a physical act. It's an act he's given here or he's told you to do. Physical obedience will bring supernatural spiritual release. And in the Western world, we've taken Christianity and making everything intellectual and how I feel. Everything. For example, our children are having a lot of fun. It's great, that's great. For example, um, I don't need to clap my hands in worship. I'll just clap them in my heart. Mm -mm. Mm -mm. I don't need to raise my arms and lift everything like the Bible says. And I would encourage you, don't do it unless you have an understanding. Don't go through the motions. Don't just do it because everyone, find out why. Because then there's faith attached to it and it has power. Don't just do it. I don't need to do this. I mean, I, mean, I just, I, I raise my hands in my heart. Mm -mm. I don't need to use my mouth to speak things out. God sees my thoughts. It's true, but mm -mm. I don't need to humble myself through the act of fasting or maybe I feel like I need to kneel in prayer sometimes. That's legal. I don't need to do physical things. You know, physical obedience will bring spiritual release when it's obedience. And we'll end there. I wanted to get onto, but I won't. Fasting is a child of God. There is a difference in fasting in the New Testament and Old Testament. And I'll say it quickly and we'll touch on it next week, but it's good to understand why did Jesus feel the need to clarify? In the Old Testament, they fasted on the day of atonement. For what? For the forgiveness of sin, in a sense for righteousness. They purchased righteousness. He said, if you do not fast on that day, you will be cut off. It doesn't mean if we don't fast, we're not saved. If you heard that, throw that thought away, that's the enemy. That's silly. Okay, it doesn't mean that at all. But there's something very powerful, which I'll get into next week. But in the Old Testament, the, the, the core, the, the nugget of it is this. They fasted towards righteousness. They fasted to become, they fasted towards righteousness. In the New Testament, you do not do that. You fast from righteousness. You fast from sonship. You fast from security. You do not fast to become good enough. You fast because you know that you already are. Big difference, big difference. Thank you, Cynthia, and all the team for putting up the 21 days. I encourage you to go read the prayer points. You know, and I'm gonna say this. I've partly talked about it with the team, partly talked about it with my wife. But there's something in my heart. I feel like God is 
there's a wave that God wants to build in a sense. Who can sense a little bit of that? Not everyone's wired that way, that's fine. And I just don't feel like meeting for the two Tuesdays and the three nights at the end. It's not, I just, there's something that I cannot explain because people will hear it the wrong way. It's just there needs to be some more prayer. And so from Tuesday to Friday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, every morning here, most of you probably cannot make it at this time, from 6.30 to 7.30, someone will be here if you want to come and pray. Tuesday to Friday, 6.30 a.m. to 7.30 a.m. every morning. You can come for five minutes. It's not going to be a prayer meeting. We're still going to meet on Tuesday night this week, Tuesday, uh, then Thursday, Friday, Saturday next week. It's not going to be a led prayer meeting as such, as someone standing up. If there's three people, they're going to pray. One of them might want to pray on their own. One of them, it's sometimes just a decision to go. There may be 20 people. Then we'll, we'll just pray as we're led. One hour, you could come for 10 minutes. You may not be able to make it because you have commutes. There's no pressure. But if you want to, someone will be here. The building will be open so that we can pray and ask the Lord. Amen. Please be wise. Please get advice if you can. Can we stand? Um, Who's at the back? I can't see them. Michael. All right. I'm just going to pray and then we'll... I I trust it was helpful to you. You know why? Because it's not a hunger strike. There has to be faith, spiritual understanding. And for those who are moving towards or water fast, just, you know, warn your spouse... Sometimes the things in the old day theater, you're grumpy and you know, yeah. My wife and I have learned we don't water fast at the same time for the sake of our children. <laughs> that's true. So, Father, I thank you for your joy and fellowship and life, laughter and love. And I thank you, Lord, that we come together like Nehemiah did, Lord. And we fast and pray so that your will can become crisp, clear, so that we can rebuild the walls and the gates, so that we can find directions for us and our little ones. But Lord, also so that you can send again your fire to burn right through this nation, Lord. And we do pray for the nation. We pray for those who are leading the nation, regardless of where we stand. You cause people to rise and fall. And Lord, we do pray for the nation. Lord, I ask and I trust that I have agreement that you invade, interrupt our lives. Remind us who you are. Remind us, Lord. We love you. We love each other. Father, I pray, Holy Spirit, for a divine connection in unity. That we break what offense wants to do. We break the the schemes, the Bible says, of the enemy to find unity in this hour to see your glory released, Lord. We pray for all the churches in this area, in this region, all the churches that people are visiting from today. Lord, visit them with 
fire, with power, with, with divine revelation, with understanding, turn their hearts, even of the leaders, inside and out. Encounter the pastors, the leaders, whoever they are, and remind this region, Jesus Christ is the Lord. We bless you, Lord. Amen.